0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. We are now approaching lunar sunrise and uh, for all the people back on earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Perhaps some of you recognize the voice of uh, William Anders, the voice of the astronaut of Apollo 8, as he read uh, as they were in 1968 orbiting the moon. On Christmas Eve, uh, December 24, 1968, and uh, they read from Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 5, or actually the whole chapter, he just read verses 1 to 5, and not sure if Nassau would get away with that today, if they would be allowed to read. Uh, even in the day in 1968, the leader of the Atheists of America, Madeleine O'Hara, tried to sue the United States government, alleging the violations of the First Amendment, and uh, so... I would like today, as our first uh, step into the book of Genesis, I would like today to begin by talking about two worldviews that are worlds apart. And that's what we're going to be looking at. I'd like you to turn in your insert in your bulletin, the little yellow piece of paper, and I would encourage you to take it out and, um, and follow along with me. There are four points that I would like to make this morning. And uh, we'll probably be moving pretty quickly, but I feel as though today's sermon is a very important step, and next week's as well, in laying the platform of which is necessary for us to approach this incredibly important piece of Holy Scripture. And so, the first thing I'd like to say in the first point, as you can see, is called the tenacity of the Christian worldview. If we know our history and if we know our Bibles, We know that Christianity, uh, the faith founded on Jesus Christ, will outlive Western civilization, and it will outlive Christendom. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, an author by the name of Oz Guinness is not alone in his prediction that we are living right now in the twilight years of the Western civilization. His reasons are very convincing, for he took... Eight major civilizations and studied them in depth, and he came to a conclusion. Now, this, the studies involved Egyptian, Babylonian, Indian, Chinese, Mayan, Greek, Roman, and Arabian cultures, and he came to the conclusion that Western civilization is following the same pattern as these civilizations when they were in decline. So, what is the pattern of a civilization in decline? He says that it is fashionable in the twilight years of a civilization in decline to turn against the old faith that created, inspired, and empowered it. And that's exactly what we see happening in Western civilization today. There is a turning away from the old faith, rejecting the absolutes of Judeo-Christian values. Some have called it the ABC movement anything but Christianity, and we are seeing a whole lock, stock, and barrel turning away from the roots of what what created, indeed, the Western civilization. History is being reinterpreted to conclude that whatever good Christianity has brought, it really, if you look at it deeply, it's bad. Whatever blessing might have come, it's really a cursing. And so they say, Poison comes from religion. Religion poisons everything. Now, we must be careful with our terms here. For when I say that we are living in the twilight years of the Western civilization or of Christendom, I am not suggesting in any way that we are living in the final days or the end of Christianity. G.K. Chesterton, I love his writing. He says at one point in one of his books, he says, At least five times the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. And in each of the five cases, it was the dog that died. What does he mean by that? Well, he means simply that several times in the history of Christianity, the soul seems to have been sucked out of. The life soul seems to have been sucked out of the faith. There has been a frontal attack on Christian faith so many times throughout history. And we've watched, and the the world has watched, to, to witness maybe this is the final end of this thing called Christianity. And yet, time and time again, in the midst of that frontal attack, in the midst of that undermining presence, there is this resurrection of faith. There is this revival of faith. There is this reformation of faith every time. I could give several examples. After the long, dark, lonely Middle Ages of Roman Catholicism, what awakened in the 1500s? A reformation of Protestant proportions that revived the essential gospel of Jesus Christ. And after the secular humanism that actually goes back as far as the 14th century, founded by Francesco Petrarch, and after the philosophical enlightenment of Voltaire in the 18th century, and after the theory of evolution by Darwin, Charles Darwin, in the early 19th century, and after the theories of quantum physics by Albert Einstein in the early 20th century, and after the communism of Karl Marx and the psychology of Sigmund Freud and the atheism of Friedrich Nietzsche who said, God is dead and after the Richard Dawkins and the Stephen Hawkins and all of these other would-be prophets have all died and, and all stood before their Maker, after all of them have gone and stood before their Maker that they've defied, the faith of Jesus Christ will go on and on and on into eternity. And why is that? It's because He is the way and the truth and the life. It's because the it that we talk about, the faith called Christianity, is founded upon a Him, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, world without end. That's the Lord God we serve. And so I I begin this whole series on Genesis by simply stating that there is a tenacity to the Christian worldview upon which Genesis is a foundation for. I am convinced that whatever becomes of our Canada, I am convinced that whatever becomes of our world, whether we see a meltdown of nuclear war proportions that devastates our planet, whether we live to witness the catastrophic environmental issues caused by climate change, whether we witness the aggression of radical religious groups that want to exterminate other people, whether we see a slow and steady eroding of morality into chaos and anarchy and lawlessness, whatever our future looks like, folks, whatever it is, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And He is the rock that we build our faith on, and His Word is trustworthy, and that is why we must study the Word of God, and we must uncover what Genesis, the foundation of our faith, has to stay, because the Christian worldview is a tenacious, Christian is a tenacious worldview. And it is very much the foundation on which all of the rest of our beliefs stand. And indeed, if this can be undermined, and if this is going to fall, then the entire thing falls like a house of cards, and you and I are the most foolish people on the face of this earth. So the first thing is the tenacity of the Christian worldview. The second thing I'd like to say is that as we approach Genesis, there is a necessity of an authentic faith. Necessity of authentic faith. One of the oldest, the oldest in fact, the oldest and one of the most influential places of higher learning in the English-speaking world is Oxford University in England. If you were to visit Oxford University today, you would find a college on campus called Lenacre College. It was named in the 16th century after a physician by the name of Thomas Linacre who had the privilege by the way of being the personal physician of King Henry VIII. Now, this was at a time before the Protestant Reformation. This is before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door. And at the time before the Reformation, this book was not in the hands of anyone but clergy. And because Thomas Linacre was, though he understood the original languages, especially Greek, he was not allowed a Bible. But one day a priest who was a friend of Thomas Linacre lent him a copy of the four Gospels in Greek, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he he went home and he sat and he poured over the four manuscripts of the four Gospels in Greek. And several days later, he came back to this priest friend and he handed back the manuscripts and he said these, I think, very important words. He said either these are not the Gospels or we are not Christians. Now why do I share that story? I share that story as we begin Genesis because I believe we're living in perilous times when the faith that was handed down to us by our mothers and our fathers as recorded in Holy Scripture is slowly being eroded and reinterpreted and ignored. Perhaps even now, perhaps even now it is possible that someone could come from another country into Canada, pick up a Bible and read it, and come to church and say, either that's not the Bible or those people are not Christians. Let it not be said of us. The church must always keep watch over the deposit of faith that God has given us. The church must always be sure that it is building on the only foundation that can be built, which is Jesus Christ. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1:14, guard the good deposit that has been handed down to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. We seek to do that. For the forces of secularization are constantly seeking to erode our faith foundation. And that's why I've entitled the series on Genesis foundations of the faith we must not so much be in the world that we are thinking like the world nor should we be so naive as to think that the actual shape of the faith that was passed down to us is in perfect form or without defect I'm old enough to remember that when I was watching TV as a child, every so often there'd be the the snowy screen would come up, and there'd be one little comment that would come across the screen, and it said something like, Trouble is in transmission. (laughs) We don't get that so often anymore. Trouble is in transmission. You see, the folks, this, this book, the Word of God, is perfect and infallible. But your approach to it and your interpretation of it is not. And the transmission of the faith that has been passed down to you by by a pastor or a leader or a mother or father, whoever, that's fallible. That's got to be re-examined constantly. The church and Christians are always in need of reformation and revival and re-examination. And so the point I'm making is that if grandma and grandpa were wrong. About certain things and if mother and father did not question grandma and grandpa does that mean that we are destined along the way to simply be in error till we die no i don't think so i don't think that's faith instead i believe it could be a recipe for cold religiosity and sterile legalism that does not give life to this lost world that is in search of a real gospel Many of you have come out of religious darkness, misunderstanding, legalism, and you've come into the fresh air of grace, and you've come into the fresh air of faith, and your convictions may not resemble that of your parents or grandparents. And that's okay if they resemble Jesus Christ and a proper understanding of his word. And so... We study the foundations of our faith as we do so in these coming months. It is possible that I will be teaching something that grandma and grandpa or mother and father never questioned. It is possible that our study could lead us to ask questions of the text that they never asked. Make observations of the text they never made. Will we trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us? Will we be uncompromising on what we believe the Scriptures are teaching? And will we be open-minded and less dogmatic about what the Scriptures seem to be silent or not clear on? Will we seek answers to the questions that the Scriptures give answers to? And will we not try to make the Scriptures answer the questions that they're not designed and intended to answer? We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we do that. You see, it is wrong to fall into either ditch, either either unexamined fundamentalism or secular humanism and liberalism. I don't want to go into either ditch as we study the Word of God. Because our goal is, it ought to be, to think biblically, Christianly, And logically and I believe that as we do so we will come up against a clashing of worldviews but God has given us three very important revelations that should guide us so that we don't need to fall into either ditch one of those revelations is clearly the Word of God another of those revelations is clearly creation and the third revelation is unmatched jesus christ himself and a living relationship with him by faith so my second point is simply the authenticity of faith is vital to our study thirdly why study the book of genesis You'll notice in the insert in your bullets, and I give you three reasons, and I'm sure we could think of more. But first of all, we study the book of Genesis because Genesis is the book of origins. The Hebrew title of Genesis is actually just the first word in Hebrew found in the manuscript, which means in the beginning. It's the book of origins. Now, how did it get the word Genesis? Well, that's a Greek term. The early Greek translators of Genesis took that Greek word uh, Genesis, which means origins, and they used that as a title because it accounts for the origins of the universe of the earth of the of all the life forms that we know it refutes the commonly held atheistic beliefs about how we came to be it it flies in the face of evolutionary process of random selection of impersonal force and unintelligent beginnings it flies in the face of that and it gives reasons why Things started the way they did and continue the way they do. It's a book of origin. Secondly, we study the book of Genesis because it's the foundation of theology, all theology. Genesis plants the seeds of the most important themes we find in Scripture. We are introduced to God's teaching on the universe, the solar system, the earth, the mystery of life, the sanctity and dignity of human life, marriage, gender, sin, the origin of evil, greed, murder, abuse of power, oppression, war. These and other themes begin in Genesis. It helps us see our place in history. But more than anything, Genesis, as a book of theology, talks about God. It tells us of God, the matchless one. The eternal one the triune sovereign God the God of covenant love who begins a relationship with us and though we once had paradise and traded it for prison he says I have a way back into paradise for you will you trust in my way I've given you the seed of Abraham Jesus Christ to point the way and so the book of Genesis is incredibly important for theology And thirdly, the book of Genesis is important to study because it's the grand narrative. The book of Genesis puts the the whole stage, the backdrop, the actors, the props, everything about the Bible and the big story of the Bible, it's all put on the stage in Genesis. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being an actor and you're placed on a stage that's absolutely white blank? And you're given no identity as to who you are. You don't know what kind of an act or play this is. Is it a comedy? Is it a tragedy? Is it a drama? You don't know whether you're the hero or the villain. Without Genesis, that's where we'd be. But with Genesis, we know the backdrop. We know what's on stage. We know the narrative, the plot. And we know our place. In the story, if we take it seriously. And it answers one of the most important questions, doesn't it? It answers questions like: who am I? Where did I come from? What's my purpose in life? How does my story fit into the grand narrative? Let's move to our final point, the fourth point that I'd like to spend time on. And if you have that insert, you'll notice that I've listed, along with Genesis chapter one, verse one, several other scriptures like Hebrews 11:3. "By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible." Or first John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything has been made that has been made. Or Revelation 4. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You know, I just want to say that it is the most humbling thing to approach Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Could we just pause for prayer? O Lord, our God, how humbling it is to read these words you've given us, a description of how you created everything that is. We enter into this study with reverence, in fear and trembling. You, the eternal God, we cannot understand eternity, past or future, but God, you in eternity past at one point, not even in time because time didn't exist, but God, at one point, somehow you just said, I'm going to speak everything into existence. And you wrap all that up by just saying to us in the beginning, God, it's just humbling for us to ponder how it is that everything that exists came to be at the voice of God. And so would you help us, Lord, in our study this year not to go beyond what you've written, not to lag behind, but fully to embrace everything that you've declared, that in the process, Christ, you might be exalted. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To you, Lord, be the glory. Amen. What makes the Christian worldview distinct and unique is God. And so I want to simply end the message today by talking about a few points that these scriptures bring out that define the watershed of worldviews between Christian worldview and any other worldview. And it's all based on God. First of all, let me say to you, especially as you, you who have children, young children, the things I'm about to teach are so clearly simple that you could teach these to young children. And you must. You must give them the basis for a Christian worldview. Now, yesterday, I was in the Dollar Tree store on Keniston. And I was walked up to the cash register, and the woman ahead of me had some books on, on the table to pay for and i said where did you get those books and she said they're in the back corner lot, where the books are at the dollar tree store and i said that's incredible i went back there and i bought some books now this is not the bibliography from which i'm studying <laughs> okay but i'm telling you there they were a dollar 25 i got eight books for 10 dollars and, and I'm encouraging you. When you leave today, go to the Dollar Tree store and get these books. Here's one: God made the earth. I can even read the font. God made the sun. God. I mean, this is this is rock solid, biblical. I like this one: God made the seasons. And then he goes in: God made animals and a personal favorite of mine is God made colors and if you want to take it up from the two or three-year-old age group to the next I love this look at what's that called where it folds out three-dimensional the story of creation right there sound where do you get it dollar tree store <laughs> I'm am, I am getting no commission But you gotta go. Anyway, sorry. So so the points I'm making right now, these are rock solid. This is all about God. That's what makes our worldview different than the rest of the world. Number one, God is ultimate reality. When the child that you have living in your home comes to you and says, Yeah, but where did God come from? Who created God? Guess what? The Bible never gives an explanation of how God came into existence because God always was. That's why the Bible says in the beginning, God so if your child asks you who created god you just say god always was and that's all the bible ever says it assumes the existence of the eternal god and we cannot go beyond that he is the self-existent one he never had a beginning he'll never have an end however hard it is for our p- small human brains to get around that that is the teaching of scripture and as i said it is the watershed of worldviews. John Lennox writes this, that it implies that the universe cannot explain itself. The the answers to the universe are not in the universe because God is the ultimate reality, not the universe. That's number one, God is. Secondly, God is eternal creator and distinct from creation. The Latin phrase that is used to describe how God created something out of nothing is the word ex nihilo. And ex nihilo means out of nothing. That's what it means. It means that God had nothing to work with. And out of nothing, God spoke things into existence, including us. That's how the whole universe came into being. Now, for an atheist like Richard Dawkins, who asks the question, who created God? We then turn around and say to Richard Dawkins, well, who created your ultimate reality? Because you see, don't let anyone fool you whether they have a different equation or not. They have an equation that says in the beginning, something. And In the case of Richard Dawkins, I think he would have to, if he was, had an integrity, he would have to say in the beginning, the universe. He has a beginning point that is unexplainable. And we declare, yes, we have a beginning point that is unexplainable. He is God. The worldview presented by Genesis is different than ancient polytheism with its many dozens of religions. It's different than contemporary secularism with the evolutionary theory taught as fact in halls of higher education, in museums, in Big Bang theories, in all kinds of shows on television it's different than the pantheism which is taught that the sun the moon and other created things have a divine reality within them that is not the world view of genesis in the world of genesis in the bible god is god and creation is creation and deity does not live in creation he is god It is different than deism as well, a worldview, ideas that that God created the universe, but then he withdrew and let it run on its natural laws of cause and effect. That's not the God of Christian theism or of Genesis or of the Bible. No. The God that we read of in our worldview, that comes from the scriptures is the God who is over all. And in his providence, he breaks into natural causes. He breaks into cause and effect. He answers prayer. He does miracles. He goes beyond the natural to the supernatural. We cannot fully explain the God that we worship. And so that's secondly, God is God and He is uncreated. And thirdly, God is personal and relational. Secular worldview replaces God with an unintelligent random life force. Call it the universe, call it whatever. Some might think that it's okay to refer to God as a higher power or a force. Beware of the Star Wars God. Let the force be with you. Because you see, God is not some power that we harness for our own agendas. God is the living God, that the creating God, the redeeming God, the Lord and personal God who wants a personal relationship with us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then finally, God created the earth and primarily as a home for humans. We're going to talk a lot about that when we get into the whole idea of what does it mean to be created in the image of God. We are stewards of this earth. And how does it look as we unpack that? So this morning, as we think of Genesis 1:1. The first verse of 1,189 chapters in the Bible, of 23,214 verses, this first verse is the foundation of the rest of them. Just ten words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and yet they're fully, powerfully foundational to everything else we believe i was talking to a man back in april on worship team could you come get ready to lead us in a worship song as we respond to the word i was talking to a man in april pat and i were with him and i just i just broached the subject of a living god of talking with him and it was it was clear within within 10 seconds the door was closed on the conversation the door was closed and the Bible says in Isaiah 53:1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And when I was talking to this man, I realized very quickly in the conversation that it's not about me trying to have a mind-to-mind conversation with him because he has already said in his heart, there is no God. And I came away from that conversation so sad because there are many fools today that have said in their hearts, I'm not discussing this, I'm not open to anything else, I have said in my heart, I have decided, I have resolved, there is no God. Friends, we need to be praying through this time when we are being sharpened in our own understanding. We need to be praying that God would bring to us those who have yet not closed the door, those who have not yet said in their hearts, there is no God so that we might present this wonderful, loving God to them who is the maker that they will stand before. I conclude with C.S. Lewis's words, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. May God bless His word. Amen. Amen.